Hi, I'm Annie Kidd. I'm in 11th grade, and I'm involved in our youth group um, here at Encounter. And right now I'll be reading in um, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attempting, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Well, it's good to see each of you here uh, this morning as we rejoin our, our study in the book of Acts, uh, looking at uh, the fact that we are indeed uh, witnesses, and I echo uh, Pastor Dan's encouragement as far as the large group of you who came at 9 o'clock uh, for our discipleship class. Just, uh, just an opportunity over these, next, over these next five weeks, a total of six weeks, as we are uh, just learning about how God has given us the opportunity to be a witness to uh, ultimately Jesus' resurrection, that's what we're learning here in the book of Acts, but also uh, how that resurrection power has changed us and how that resurrection power is available to others as well, to our neighbors, to our friends, our family members. And, uh, and so through this class, we are, we're just learning about how, how, how being a witness should just be the natural way, the normal way of living for us. And we're seeing that here in this book of Acts. Now, just as a, a quick housekeeping before we dive into our text this morning, some of you see these nice cushy chairs up here. And uh, these were given to us by Grace Fellowship Church. We know that Grace Fellowship Church meets here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Pastor Andy said, man, he said, we've got these nice cushioned chairs in our storage. He said, would you guys want them? And I said, sure. So, uh, so we are bringing them. They're here. I see that it has already allowed Bill Clark. He has migrated from near the back now to one of the cushy chairs. And so, so it's working. Uh, Jesse believes that if we have cushy chairs, it might buy me another 10 or 15 minutes in my sermon. So we'll see. But it's, it's, so that, that's where they came from. That's why it's a bit of a mixed match. But we're a mixed match group anyway. So it probably uh, is a bit of a reflection of who we are. Uh, here we find ourselves in Acts ch chapter 2, 42 through 47. Annie, thanks for reading this morning. On Thursday evening, uh, my family, we attended our daughter Sterling's uh, violin recital. It was the first uh, violin recital that uh, she had partici has participated in. She's uh, clearly a beginner in playing a violin. And, uh, and so we went there, and of course, I, if you've been, ever been to music recitals, especially in those early days, early years of your child learning an instrument, you know that sometimes you go maybe a little bit begrudging, uh, not exactly all that excited about it. And that was uh, sadly probably my attitude a little bit. Uh, they, the way in which the recital was laid out is they had the beginning, the beginners, 
near the front, and it progressively moved to the more experienced violinists uh, toward the end, and, and which makes sense because it does kind of help keep your attention. And so Sterling was near the front. She may have been maybe the third or fourth one to play, and she did a fine job, and it was fun listening to them uh, play. But then I, what I noticed for me that as the evening progressed, it was about an hour and 15 minutes long, as the evening progressed, and as the, the, the violinist experience level increased, I found myself uh, paying even more and more attention. That I was, I was leaning in a little bit, uh, listening to the music. I found myself, uh, the poor guy sitting beside me probably had to keep shifting because I'm, I'm like my body is moving, you know, kind of with the music. And, and then at the end of the recital, uh, the teacher, her instructor, she had uh, some of her most experience. There were probably maybe six or seven of the high school students, the violinists. They formed an ensemble, and uh, there was a professional cellist there also, and then there was a pianist who was accompanying the whole thing. And, uh, and they played this, this ensemble, played, and I, I sat there and I listened to this beautiful music. And it, it, it just kind of it stirred in my heart. And, and as I'm listening to it, here's, the music did two things in my own heart. First of all, it, it, like it raised my level of confidence in Sterling's instructor. Uh, I, I really had very little interaction with her instructor. Marin, has, has, Marin is the one who takes Sterling to the lessons and drops her offs and has all of that interaction. So I had very little knowledge of her expertise or anything. As, but I'm, as I'm listening to this, and we asked her at the end, like I'm just confirming, I said, are, were all of these your students? And she said, yes, all of these are my students. And so I'm listening and I'm thinking, like if this is where Sterling can be, when she's a junior or senior in high school, I'll, I'll drive two hours to allow this gal, this young lady, to teach Sterling how to play the violin. It was, it was so moving. And also, the, the second thing that it caused me to do is, I'm like, I I'm ready to play the violin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Marin and I both, at the end of the, of the recital, and the nice thing is it, is it was close to Valentine's Day, so it kind of covered me, and that, you know, I told Marin, I said, well, I didn't have to take you to a, an orchestra. I said, you know, we could just have Valentine's here at the recital. And, and Marin and I, we both looked at each other there at the end, and even Marin, she said, she's like, I just now want to play the violin. You know, I just want to just give up my day job and all other hobbies and just commit myself to that. It's like, that's what I want. What do I need to do to learn how to play and to be in a part of an ensemble that makes music like that? This morning, as Annie did such a wonderful job reading this morning, our, our passage of study gives us a glimpse into the beauty, gives us a glimpse of, into the beauty of a spirit-filled and a unified group of believers where thousands of Holy Spirit indwelt people are now embarking on the great journey of what it means to follow Jesus in His footsteps. We learned last Sunday that 3,000 people 
repented, baptized. They received the Holy Spirit. That was the instruction we learned from last week. How do we respond to this gospel? It's repentance and baptism and receive the Spirit. And and we learned that 3,000 people are now one in Christ Jesus. I think we read over this and we really, we don't clearly capture and truly understand the significance of this event. That that there's a, a, a group of people where the barriers that formerly separated them have now been torn down. That some of whom, only days prior to, were, were probably strangers. Some of them maybe even were enemies. But now find themselves together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Right? We read passages, and, and if you've grown up in church world, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you're certainly familiar with this passage of Scripture because it does. It gives us that glimpse into the beauty of a unified group, the beauty of a unified church. And we read passages like these, and and we say to ourselves, that's what I want, what do I need to do? What must I do to be a part of a group like this? And we'll even see that there's, there's this incredible attractional nature, just like that ensemble, there on Thursday evening that compels someone like me to say, man, I'm ready to play a violin and I believe in that teacher and I'm ready to play it under her instruction. There's something about a beautiful church, a unified body of believers that just compels people to join in. And, and we'll see it there at the, verse, the end of verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think we all know that one of the great joys of the Christian life, of being a part of a church, is other believers, right? That's one of the great joys of gathering on a Sunday morning is we we give each other a hug, we give each other a high five, we check in on our weeks, and that's one of the great joys of being part of a church. But at the same time, one of the great heartaches of the Christian life is other believers, right? Sometimes it's not always easy to get along. But we're reminded that when we trust in Christ Jesus, we are brought into a covenant relationship not only with God, but we're brought into a relationship, into a covenant relationship with one another. I look around the room. Look at the person sitting next to you, the people sitting in front of you and behind you. Because of what Christ Jesus has done for you and because of what Christ Jesus has done for them, they are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And here, as a local body of believers, we have covenanted together not only with the Lord, but with one another. And to, Lord willing, living out the beauty of what's described here in these verses. So that people on the outside will look in and say, what do I need to do to be a part of that? You might remember Jesus' prayer in John 17 as he is preparing to go for the cross. His prayer in verse 23 of chapter 17 of John's gospel. Jesus says, he prays this. He says, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even 
as you have loved me. Jesus, that's what Jesus prays for us. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as, as you have loved me. The, the, one of the, the wonderful purposes, one of, one of the wonderful benefits of the love that we share with one another is so that the watching world will know that God loves them too. It's almost as if Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 are the perfect answer to Jesus' prayer. That here in these verses, we see this prayer of Jesus being lived out. This morning, our big idea is this. Our unified love is an undeniable witness to a watching world. Our unified love is an undeniable witness to a watching world. In these discipleship classes that we're, that we're hosting over the next five weeks at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, the purpose, the focus is more of a personal witness, equipping and enabling you and giving you the tools and, and the motivation, Lord willing, to go and personally for you to tell your neighbors and tell your family members and to be a witness of how Christ has changed your life. Here in this morning's text, what we see is there's a collective witness that we have as a church congregation. The witness of our love for each other should cause others to desire what we want. That, that when they come and have an experience that, that your neighbors, your friends, that you are going to invite to the Robin's Roost roller skating church. When was the last time you went roller skating? Come on, let's see those hands. Anyone, right? It's been a long time, hasn't it? Right? And some of you might say, I don't want to go break an ankle, Michael. Well, neither do I. So that means you don't have to roller skate that evening. All right, that, what's that? Yeah, they do have some trainers. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and we can just lean on one another, right? But, but that, that, that entire evening, again, this, this is for young and old alike. That evening is not just set aside for those who have children. But, but that's for, may, maybe you're a grandparent and you have a grandchild. Bring them. Maybe, you, maybe you're an, an uncle or an aunt, and you, which means you have nieces and nephews. Bring them. Maybe, right, invite other people. Just, just come and hang out and be. Right, we'll have food there. Jesse's going to be our DJ that night. It's going to be a fun-filled evening for us as a church body. What? To display, to love one another. To laugh at one another on the roller skates. In love, of course. But to love so that your friends, your neighbors, who've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that when they walk away that evening, and that's in a month from, from today, March 19th, when they walk away from that evening, they'll say, I want what they have. What do I need to do to be a part of that? And this is what we see here in, in our passage this morning, that collectively, our unified love is an undeniable witness to a watching world. We are a witness of God's love toward us. And so this morning, we are going to see how in this text, there are three different ways in which we are to love. First, we'll see our love for God that helps us be devoted to Him in worship. Then we'll see our love for other believers, 
which then out of that flows a care for the needs of others. And then we'll also see a love for our neighbors that is displayed through the practice of hospitality. A love for God, a love for believers, and a love for our neighbors. So let's look here at this first, this first love that the Holy Spirit has a way of uniting us into. It says the early church devoted themselves to worship. We see this there in verses 42 and 43. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the word devoted is a strong word, and I am no Greek scholar. I just have books that help me understand this a little bit more. But, but that word devoted in the Greek language is a strong word. In the original language, the word gives us the picture of someone who's focusing hard, who's refusing distractions, who is strongly committed. It's an idea of of persevering with a single-minded faithfulness to a certain course of action. It's where we continue to do something with intense effort to be steadfastly attentive, to give constant care to something I'd like to just, if I may, just kind of provide us a little bit of an illustration, okay? I, I do this occasionally. I'll pull someone up for an illustration. And, you know, I thought, Eli, would you mind uh, coming up here and, and helping me? Because he's, he's a college student, and, and he, he needs money. And so here's, here's what I'm at. Here's, at. Eli, I want you to devote yourself to holding on to that cable. Thank you. Focus on devoting yourself. What does that look like? So now if I gave you a $10 bill, would you be willing to just let that cable go? You would. For $10. Oh, praise the Lord, because I had a $100 bill here in my wallet. I was going to, I thought I might have to use, but you're a cheap date. So, all right. All right, well, that's an easy bargain for me. Yeah, that's right. So, so he said that for 10 bucks, <laughs> right, just a couple minutes, like 30 seconds prior to, he's explaining to me what it means to devote himself to like holding onto a cable. And I'm like, hey, how about 10 bucks? I'm out of here, man. I'll take, the t- I'll take the money, right? I told you he's a college student, right? Now, now imagine, imagine you're standing at the edge of a cliff, and on the other, which of your family members do you love the most? No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Let, let's imagine that your dad is hanging on for dear life over the edge of this cliff. And he's got a strong grip of this. Now, and, and if you let go of that, your father is going to plummet to a certain death. All right? We're like in Red River Gorge, okay? And, and he's hanging on the edge of there. Now... Would that $100 bill convince you it would not. to drop that rope? Oh. Not a chance, right? A $1,000 bill? $500,000? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I think we got the idea. Okay. We'll stop there while your dad's still. Yeah, let's you come home and eat his food and all that good stuff. I think you understand the difference, right? The level of commitment here. The word, thank you, Eli, for being so wonderful in that. 
the level of commitment, right, is there. He, it, because, because why did his commitment change? Because of the value, the relationship of the one hanging on the other end of that cable. He devoted himself. He knows all that his dad has done for him. He knows the faithful love and care and concern and prayer and all the ways that his father has taught him. And so he's like, you can't, you can't buy me to, to give up my devotion. And that word devoted here, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's the, the devotion is that second type of devotion that Eli helped us get a glimpse of. It's where you've, you're giving constant care, that you are determined, you're diligent, you will continue no matter what. And here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Luke tells us how the early church was devoted. They were not distracted. And what were they devoted to? They were devoted to really four practices. And there could be a sermon in and of itself. We could spend a week on each of these practices, but we'll only spend a few moments here. What we see first is these new believers were devoted to to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the study of Scripture. They understood that the study of God's Word was a priority for them. That the study of God's Word, uh, it, it, it occupied a leading place, a central influence in their lives. It occupied a leading influence, a central place in, in the life of the, of the church, of the congregation. And they devoted themselves. They said, there's nothing that you can do to convince us to let go because we understand the importance of God's Word in our lives, in our heart. And boy, this is convicting for me because I know how easy it is, how tempted I am, even just by 15 more minutes of sleep in the morning, instead of getting up and reading my, my Bible and allowing God to set the course of my day, I'll just hit that snooze bar and I'll roll over and I am like... I'm like Eli was, 10 bucks and I'm out of here. It's a challenge to us. They devoted themselves. They held on. They committed themselves. Also, we see these early believers were devoted to fellowship. Right? Fellowship is a radical form of togetherness, unity, and oneness. Such fellowship is more, it's, it's more than just getting the guys together for for the football game. It's more than just getting the gals together for, for bunco night. There's so much more to it. This fellowship is a partnership for the mutual benefit of other believers. It's a relationship between Christians. The Bible describes it as a unique relationship between Christians that is, that's established through our union with Christ Jesus. It's a fellowship that gives us a picture of the unity of the community that exists even within the Godhead, within, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity itself. Every other Wednesday evening, a group of ladies meet in the room above our garage for a Bible study. These group of ladies have been meeting now for a couple of years 
Uh, it includes a couple of ladies from this church, and it includes two of our neighbor ladies. At the start of this year, these ladies committed together to reading to reading through the Bible individually during the week. The ladies, they follow a reading schedule, and then every other Wednesday evenings, they get together to discuss what they learned, and they spend time praying together. On paper, the study is only supposed to last for about an hour and a half, but inevitably, the ladies end up meeting for close to three hours regularly. In fact, there have been some weeks where I've stepped outside my back door and kind of peeked around to the garage just to make sure I was still, still seeing living beings up there in that room. And for some of the ladies in this study, this is the first time they've ever truly devoted themselves to consistently reading and studying God's Word. And let me just say this. God is using their devotion to reading His Word, and He is producing fruit in their lives. Their hearts are being changed, and for some of these ladies, they are being drawn to the Lord for the first time. Why? Because they held fast. I said this is important. We also see how these early believers, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. This was a common meal that, they may have, that may have often included the practice of participating in communion. And these people were, were completed, completely devoted to remembering Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. They, they found the need. They found it so important that they would regularly eat together. That they would regularly participate in the Lord's table it was a reminder to them of Jesus, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. It, it's a reality that they said, we never want to forget this. And we are so tempted to forget that, isn't it? Even over the course of five or six days, we can forget the significance of, of Christ's resurrection. And so this early church, they would gather together around the meal. That's one of the reasons why on the first these last two uh, right, devotions where they devote themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is one of the reasons why as a church on the first Wednesday of the month, we gather together trying to live out these verses by sharing a meal together and then spending time in prayer. And my encouragement to you, my invitation to you as a church family is commit yourself to it. Devote yourself to it. Like, mark that Wednesday on your calendars and don't give it up for anything. Come and experience what it means to break bread together, to understand the power of the table, and then to go to the Lord in prayer. And that's where verse 42 concludes. They devoted themselves to prayer. The believers recognized their need to seek after the Lord and to depend on Him. The believers were consistently and constantly seeking God's direction. They were act actively submitting themselves to the Lord 
and his authority in their lives. And church, as we think about, again, this picture that Eli did such a wonderful job helping us to understand, like, which scenario do you find yourself in? Are Are you quick to just drop the line? Are you quick to be distracted? Are you quick to lose focus? And maybe a prayer all of us need to do, need to pray, and to say, God, help me to be more devoted to you. Father, help me to, to, to remove the distractions that keep me away from the life of the congregation, from the life of the church. For some of us, we are so overcommitted in our schedules that we've prioritized other activities, entertainment, sports, hobbies. Maybe some of us were just, were just lazy in our devotion. Maybe we're fickle. Maybe we're easily swayed from participating because there's a forecast of snow. Even sometimes, maybe previous bad experiences with the church even make us hesitant sometimes to be devoted to these practices. My encouragement, my invitation to all of us is to recommit ourselves to being devoted, to love God in these ways. Well, next we see that their, their, their love for God was displayed in their devotion together as this church. And the next one is the love for believers. They cared for each other. Look there in verses uh, 43, 44 and 45. Luke writes for us. He says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. We have to understand, again, try to picture this event that, that thousands of people have just repented of their sins. Thousands of people have gotten wet in the waters of baptism. Thousands of people are now indwelt by the power, by resurrection power, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now these people, right, they've devoted themselves, they, they love God, but they also love one another, and they are now sympathetic to the physical needs of others. One of the outworkings of the Holy Spirit is that we will have a deeper mutual love and care for one another. That is an outworking of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, is that that you now start to notice the physical needs of other people and you're willing to loosen your grip on your stuff. Tomorrow my parents will be moving to Louisville leaving the home that they've lived in for over 50 years. So you'll see them here next Sunday. Be nice to them, okay? But it's been quite a process as sometimes we, re- we learn how the stuff of this world, we, we sometimes we can hang on to it pretty tightly, can't we? And they've been going through the process of learning to let go of stuff. What we see here is this, these believers understand that there are needs that other believers have and they say, my stuff really doesn't matter to me. And so they're, they're, they're selling it. They're, they're auctioning it off. And this day, you may, they're listing it on Facebook Marketplace. 
because they say, I have this, I'm willing to let go of this so I can then take the money and help this person who has a very real need. In 1 John 3, 17 and 18, John gives us this instruction. He says that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, John says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. These believers, they were motivated by their concern for one another. They loved each other. That the Spirit now indwelt them and they had a love for one another. A love that was exhibited through their care and their concern. A concern that flowed out of their unity in Christ Jesus. And so now they found themselves sharing and selling belongings to help one another out. They truly loved each other. You know, and in preparing this sermon... I took a few minutes to think about the various ways some of you display love toward each other. And this is an encouraging exercise. It was an encouragement for me. I kind of went through, and let me just read a few, and, and I'll try to leave out names because I know some of you prefer doing this um, privately and not necessarily making a public spectacle of yourself, but I'm reminded that late last summer, uh, one of our members had an immediate need for a household appliance. We even made that announcement here, and the need was made known during the church service, and, and by the end of the service, <clears throat> several of you volunteered to contribute to the purchase of a brand new appliance for that person. And I had the joy of being able to go to that individual's house immediately after the service and said, here's the cash. This past fall, a group of you planned and prepared and served a wonderful meal for the Livingston and the Lindner families following the, the funeral service of Sherry's husband, Tim. What a beautiful picture that was of the church loving each other, caring for each other in those moments of need. During a recent rainstorm, one of our church members' sump pumps failed and their basement flooded and several church members along took, took their kids and, and together they, wait, they all went to the home to help clean up the basement and even assisted in providing and replacing a new sump pump. In recent months, I've had the pleasure of dropping off anonymous gifts of encouragement at various church members' homes. Some of you have been the recipients of those that call themselves the Kindness Club. And I get to be the one who drops it off. Regularly, many of you share in providing meals for those who are recovering from illness or surgery or the birth of a child. But let me just say that God uses those hospitality meals to minister to the hearts of those who receive them. So many of you, when, when that meal train is listed on the, on the website, so many of you are quick to go ahead and sign up because you understand that this is one very real way that I can serve and care for the needs of other believers. 
right now, I know there's at least two meal trains going on. One for Steve Dill, the other for Margaret Sexton. Shortly after hearing of Steve Dill's stroke, several men rallied together to help build the Dill family a wheelchair ramp. The cost of the building supplies were shared by the Benevolence Fund and several members of the church family, and hours were given to building this ramp. And church, if there's ever a beautiful wheelchair ramp, this wheelchair ramp is stunning. You need to go look at it. Seriously, it is, it is absolutely marvelous. And it's, it's such an encouragement to Steve and Linda. And it will be an encouragement to their grandsons, who I'm sure will soon be riding their skateboards down the wheelchair ramp too. And one final way, Margot. We all know Margot and love Margot. Margot reached out on Tuesday morning. She called me up and she said, Michael, I'm in a bit of a pickle. I need a ride to a Wednesday doctor's appointment and procedure. So I sent out an email to a handful of folks. I had hardly hit the send button when I had a reply. And someone said, without hesitation, one of you volunteered to help by giving your afternoon and your evening to care for Margot. Right When the Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts, when, when we are recipients of God's love through Jesus Christ, what it does is it causes us to want to love other people. And it's that unified love that as, as we love one another, the world takes notice. And it causes them to say, that's what I want. I mean, church, let's, let's face it. This, the Asbury revival or renewal or reawakening, whatever you want to call it. I think one, uh, Richard McDonald, he brought this to my attention. He, said, he told me yesterday, yesterday, he said, Michael, one thing that what it proves is that there is a world that is hungry that is hungry out there. They might not necessarily know what they're hungry for, but there's a spiritual hunger that we see that people are exhibiting and displaying. And as a church, we have the answers. We have the bread of life that we can offer to them. And it begins right here with us. How we love God together and devote ourselves in worship and commit ourselves to that. How we love each other and caring for, for each other's needs. And then finally, the third one is our love for our neighbors by practicing hospitality. We see how their unified witness, thirdly, we see how this unified witness was displayed in their love for their neighbors by practicing hospitality. Now look there at verses 46 and 47. It says, every day, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And, and here's where we see the impact it was making on their neighbors. And enjoying the favor of all the people. Maybe you want to underline that. What we see is, is that the... The fellowship of believers, their devotion to God, their love for God, their love for one another. They, they, they just enjoy being together. It's more than just a Sunday morning hour and 15 minute gig. It's, there, there's so much more to that. They just wanted to be together. And what took place 
is it spilled over into their neighbors, into their neighborhoods. It says, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's not speaking about the church congregation. That's not just speaking about the, the, the new believers. That's speaking about their community. What we see is the fellowship and the unity these believers shared. It extended beyond the Sunday gathering. It became a daily practice. Luke describes how the people were eating meals together in their homes. They were creating an environment, it says, of glad and sincere hearts. Church, let me speak specifically about opening up your home. Inviting other believers to, to come and intermingling within that your neighbors. Oftentimes, right, in our day and age when it comes to meals, uh, our, our meals are quick and they're on the go. We scarf down our fast food fries and burger or Chick-fil-A if you're real spiritual. And, and, we, and we eat all that down, making our way to another appointment or another sports practice. We hardly even leave enough time for our bodies to digest the food. But in the ancient Near East, eating together was an event. It was an occasion that reflected a common commitment to the other person and a desire for deep fellowship. In fact, the meal in a person's home was the mark of friendship. What, what, what these early believers practiced was a sincere hospitality. You see, it's through inviting people over for a meal or for dessert on the back porch or even a free lemonade stand out in front of the sidewalk. You're, you're, you're opening yourself and you're opening up the opportunities for you to get to know the details of the other person's life. You're saying, I'm interested in your story. Church, one of the greatest tools for the gospel is your home. In just a couple weeks, we will be spending time during our 9 o'clock discipleship class and, and we'll be talking about how can we truly start to see our homes as a means for witnessing, for evangelism through the practice of hospitality and, making, and trying to make it so easy for us. It's hard work, but it doesn't have to be difficult. One of the greatest tools for the gospel is your home, whether it's on the fifth floor of an apartment complex, because I know some of you right now are saying, but you don't understand. I don't, I don't like have a home. I rent an apartment. I don't care. You live on the fifth floor of an apartment complex. That's a great opportunity. Trent, you live in a dormitory. Start to think of your dorm room as a means of hospitality. Right? Do, do, and I, I, I'm going to use some, some Horton language. Do the dudes like hanging out in your dorm room? Do, do they, is it a place that the dudes want to come to? That even in college, what about at work? You're a cubicle. You have a cubicle, you have an office. As people walk by your cubicle, as they walk by your, your office door, are they compelled to come in because they know that there's someone in there who loves them? 
and is going to even practice hospitality to them, even right there. And, what, and, and, and the, the effect it had, it tells us, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. They enjoyed the favor of their neighbors. Right? This was a hospitality extended to their neighborhoods. Right? We live in a culture of ring doorbells. And I, I'm not, maybe I am harping on ring doorbells a little bit, but I know many of, many of you have, many of us, I don't, but you do. Many of you have them. I stopped at someone's house this week who had a ring doorbell. I was dropping something off. I was innocent. I was going there for all good reasons. But as soon as I saw that ring doorbell, I was, I was kind of like, oh, man, I need to be on my best behavior. Not that I had bad motives in mind. It's just there was just something that kind of raised the, the, the level of anxiousness and nervousness because I knew that person was now able to watch me. That kind of created a barrier there. And how do I know that that person was watching me? It's because after I left, they sent me a text telling me that they just saw me. And I kind of wish I'd made funny faces in the ring doorbell. But we live in a culture where we put up privacy fences or we draw the shades to our windows. And we communicate in all of these different ways that basically say, Stay away. Don't step on my yard. You're not invited here. The church family, we should be rolling out the red carpet that leads straight to the welcome mat of our front doors. The Christian church should be filled with open homes and warm meals and tasty dessert, and it's okay to buy the dessert from Costco or Sam's Club. If Jesus has opened his life and his eternal home to us, then we should be willing to do the same to others. Believe it or not, God has a wonderful way of communicating his grace and his favor through your dining room table. And it had an effect. And this love, this renewed love, this new, not a renewed love, a new love that they received for the very first time there as the Holy Spirit now indwelt them, as they are now witnesses of a resurrected Savior. They are experiencing the resurrection power. What did it do? It, uni- it united them together. They had a unified love that served as an undeniable witness to the world. And what's the result? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a description. What a challenge. My encouragement to all of us is to identify small ways that we can say, Lord, help me Help me to step into this. Help me to be more obedient. Help me be more obedient in in my devotion to worshiping you with the church body. Help me be be more committed to caring for for others. Lord, teach my heart 
to believe that if you care for the sparrows and the birds and if you provide for their needs, you'll provide for my needs. And God, maybe you're calling me, maybe you're using me to provide for the needs of other believers by helping meet their needs. Maybe you've been challenged this morning to to get to know your neighbors and to invite a couple people over from church and invite a couple people of a couple of your neighbors over and just to spend some time together that we might all that we might see God do a wonderful work in this and that they might leave and go back into their homes and that they might say boy whatever whatever I need to do whatever it takes That's what I want to be a part of. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. God, I ask now that your spirit would teach our hearts to be obedient and that out of the obedience of our hearts, our hands and our feet would take action. Help us to do, not just hear, but to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.